crossroads of Rockland. Welcome to Crossroads of Rockland History on WRCR. I'm Claire Sheridan from the Historical Society of Rockland County. Today's program is sponsored by the Historical Society of Rockland County's annual dinner. This Sunday, March 24th, the Historical Society will give lifetime service awards to the Stokes family, the Austin Stokes Ancient Americas Foundation, and to retired Rockland County Sheriff James Kralik. They're receiving these awards for their service to our community and for their support of the Historical Society. If you would like to attend this dinner, please visit our website at rocklandhistory.org to find out how you can be a part of this fun and festive evening. Before we begin our program today, I'd like to remind our listeners that this is a call-in show, and we will welcome your calls. The phone lines are open throughout the broadcast, so call us if you have a comment, question, or a memory you'd like to share. That number is 845 845- 3620013 that's 8453620013 my guest today is Howard H Shack and our topic is Shack Industries a family business that began in Spring Valley in 1898 over four generations this business grew from a horse and buggy operation to an international company with offices and projects worldwide welcome Howard to Crossroads of Rock and History and thank you so much for being here today Uh, Good morning, Claire. It's a pleasure to be here and to acknowledge the great job the Rockland County Historical Society is doing in preserving Rockland's history. Thank you. Um, Your family's business history is fascinating, and I know our listeners will be very interested in it. And your personal story is also intriguing, so let's get right to it. How did your grandfather, Morris Shack, end up in Rockland County? Well, after coming to the United States in the late 1800s, I was told that my grandfather and my grandmother were living on Willett Street in crowded downtown Manhattan that was teeming with other immigrants at the time. He obviously wanted a better life for his young family, and while he could have moved to many other destinations, he decided to settle in Rockland County. Perhaps it was Rockland's proximity to New York City that attracted him without having to live in a crowded environment. And where exactly did he settle? Uh, He settled in Clarkstown on about 38 acres, not too far from the Ramapo town line. It was in a section between Pascack Road and 2nd Avenue with a Spring Valley mailing address. And in the beginning, what did the business do? Uh, On a small scale, he worked as a subcontractor, uh, working installing window glass in homes, plate glass and wood window settings for shopkeepers, greenhouses, churches, and several of Rockland's factories. And what type of transportation did they use to move glass from New York City to Rockland? Uh, They had a horse, uh, I was told, and several specially built wagons that were capable of carrying glass flat on heavy canvas mattresses that were filled with horsehair to cushion the rough ride. Uh, There were also rolls of burlap separating the sheets of glass to keep it from scratching. This horse and wagon transport must have been extremely nerve-wracking considering the types of roads that were traveled, right? Uh, I was told that many roads was nothing but braided dirt that turned to two muddy ruts, which the wagon wheels could not get out of when it rained. The rough roadbed was regraded when the mud dried. In some instances, the potholes were refilled with uh, ash, stone, and gravel, or whatever other material they had. And when did the company begin using motorized vehicles? 
I think it was about 1919 from the pictures I was shown. And can you describe these? Uh, the trucks used locally were made by Graham Page, an automobile manufacturer who later merged with Dodge Brothers. Uh, the trucks were purchased also locally from Campbell and Strickland Auto Dealership on Main Street in Spring Valley. The glass racks for the trucks were built locally out of oak and steel by Mr. Erickson, a blacksmith located in a large barn across from the Spring Valley Railroad Station. Another larger truck of an approximate 1919 vintage had solid tires and chain drive. It was used to pick up cases of plate glass from the docks in New York City, since plate glass at the time was not being manufactured successfully in the United States and had to be imported from Belgium and elsewhere in Europe. And after the turn of the century, did the company begin to grow their commercial business? I learned early on that my father and grandfather were always innovative, mechanically inclined, and constantly designing new machinery for rolling and bending metal, in addition to looking for new ways of doing business. I guess they had to be in order to survive in those early years. And what kinds of innovations were they implementing at that time? Uh, since the storekeepers were having problems with the wood storefront frames and the doors surrounding the glass, rotting from moisture, they picked up on the process of cladding first-growth wood cypress by mechanically rolling a thin layer of copper sheet over the surface that protected the wood from the elements. In addition, that process somewhat helped fireproof wood windows between buildings that were built close together. Technically speaking, of the so-called lot line, that's lot line windows, were break formed from a thin layer of zinc sheets, which they call the calamine process. Many of those installations from the early 1900s that were glazed with wire glass are still in use today. Can you elaborate a little bit on, on that calamine process? Well, without getting too technical, calamine is a zinc ore that was used in its natural state for millennia. The reason it took man so long to work directly with pure metallic zinc is that instead of melting, it had a natural tendency of evaporating when heated. However, in the 18th and 19th centuries, European metal workers developed more advanced smelting techniques, allowing the production and processing of pure zinc into various shapes. My grandfather probably came to this country with that knowledge. Incidentally, the famous pink calamine lotion that you're probably familiar with contains both zinc and iron oxides. Setting the stage of what else was taking place in Spring Valley at the time is very helpful to me and our listeners. Can you talk a little bit about the other businesses that existed in Spring Valley in the early 1900s and how your family's business interacted with them? Well, my family conducted business throughout Rockland County, including the Garneville Industrial Complex, Consolidated Stamp Company, Dexter Press, Lettley, Rockland State Hospital, Letchworth Village, West Point, and numerous other facilities. But first and foremost, there were the local shopkeepers as well as their customers 
in every Rockland County village that everyone knew by their first name. Unlike the super box stores of today, there also existed a limited amount of bartering between business people at the time, which was very interesting to me. Mm-hmm. Along with innovation, your family's business handled the ebb and flow of the seasons very creatively. Can you describe what the business undertook during the winter months and the results of that work? Certainly. The limited capacity and number of snow plows could not have possibly cleared the snow from the narrow roadbeds as they do today, so they were not always passable. Therefore, outside construction was limited or simply closed down during inclement weather. During those times, Joseph and his father Morris settled in around their shops, pot-bellied wood and coal-fired stove to do their so-called bench work. There they worked on large tables from full-size patterns of pre-designed stained and colored leaded glass windows for churches and for windows at West Point, including the Cadet Quarters, Officers Club, Hotel Thayer, and many other buildings. They also made the leaded glass for signage in the transom areas of storefronts. And after World War I, the business expanded. Can you describe this for us? Because this was not only physical expansion, but additional members of the family came on board, right? Uh, business in Rockland did grow in the 1920s after World War I. The roads improved and the company began working in surrounding counties. A number of new factories, stores, and low-rise apartment buildings were being constructed. My dad brought aboard three of his brothers. One of them became foreman and head glass cutter. Another supervised field measurements and installations. The third headed up wholesale glass and metal sales throughout a three-state area. My dad and grandfather were the administrators who designed and engineered new products. Even my mom was involved with the order board and bookkeeping. A fourth brother handled the financial investments for the company as well as those for Herbert Burns Greenhouses in Spring Valley. Uh, They were among the largest rose growers in the East. And with all of this innovation and the resulting technical requirements, there must have been an incredible level of proficiency among the employees in the business. Can you describe the work environment? I understand that the workday was long and hard. Lifting and installing glass was by muscle power, unlike today, what with suction cups, hoisting equipment, hydraulic tailgates and lift trucks. I imagine that they had to learn fast and work hard to keep their job. But once the employees provided themselves, proved themselves, they had year-round work with a long history of no layoffs. Even second-generation sons became shack employees in later years. You're listening to WRCR and Crossroads of Rockland History. Our topic today is shack industries, and my guest is Howard H. Shack. I'll take this opportunity to remind our listeners that our phone lines are open, so if you have a question or a comment or a memory, please uh, give us a call. We'd love to hear from you. Our number is 845-362-0013. That's 845-362-0013. Can you speak about the relationship between Happy Valley and Shack Industries? Uh, Well... Happy Valley, in addition to furnishing glass to the institution, 
My dad and grandfather provided apprenticeships to a number of promising graduates when they came of age. But I don't know what that age may have been. And how about the orphan trains? The orphan train movement occurred between 1853 and 1929, and as many as 250,000 abandoned or neglected children were shipped from the streets of New York City and throughout the 48 states. I was told that a few of the trains carrying some of the homeless children en route for placement in the Midwest stopped long enough at the Spring Valley Railroad Station for several of the children to be transferred to Happy Valley in Pomona, where they worked as institutional farmhands, growing food for other orphans. An example of this is George Brewster, one of the Happy Valley apprentices employed by my dad. He became a respected member of the community and worked all of his life for our company. In World War II, he was wounded in Africa, but after discharge and recuperating, returned to his position with the Shack Companies, retiring in 1984. Wow. Um, of course, in 1929, the stock market crash occurred. What happened to Shack Industries at that time? Like a majority of companies dependent in part on the construction industry, they suffered greatly as new construction came to a screaming halt. However, the family quickly zoned in on maintenance projects, which helped them pull through by the skin of their teeth until WPA projects and the buildup for World War II began. And with the advent of World War II, Shaq became an important contractor, right? Uh, that is correct. And they set up the next expansion. Um, how did the business change at, uh, during and after World War II? Uh, with a Defense Department priority to obtain raw materials, the company was ready when they were called on to glaze tens of thousands of pieces of glass for the barracks and support buildings at Camp Shanks and Orangeburg, a number of buildings at West Point, Camp Smith, Iona Island, and Stewart Army Air Force Base in Newburgh. They also had a maintenance division serving those facilities and a number of important companies involved with defense manufacturing throughout the war. I think many already know the story of housing required by returning veterans and their new families. As World War II came to an end, the building of the Palisade Parkway, the Tappansy Bridge, and New York State Thruway, and the influx of people from New York City's New York City seeking new residences all had a part in the company's growth. New stores, office buildings, factories, and the supporting infrastructure appeared to be under construction seemingly at the same time. New buildings needed glass, doors, and windows, so our manufacturing capabilities increased not only for Rockland County, but for the surrounding counties and states. And Shack Industries expanded in order to fill the exploding requirements for glass and metal building systems. And again, it was innovation and being on the front end of technology that was important, wasn't it? Yes, post-World War II was a time for innovation if a 
company expected to advance and grow over the long period, the Shack Group included. We innovated a narrow style stainless steel door, balanced and revolving door systems. As different metals were released to the public sector, we added bronze, nickel, silver, and stainless steel door systems and windows to our product line. And then by the 1970s, the third generation of shacks, which is your generation, entered the business. Having grown up with this as your world, how prepared were you to enter this international business? Well, as someone who grew up hearing stories of the business, even over dinner, I guess it was not much of an effort for me to follow through. My dad made it perfectly clear that he expected me to follow in his path and expected nothing less. It was obvious to me when I came into the business that working overseas had become a lot more profitable for the company in addition to be being paid in advance with guaranteed letters of credit. I always like the phrase, necessity is the mother of invention. Was this part of the success of Shaq in the 1980s? Without a doubt. At this point, Shaq was truly a global business. In fact, products that you manufactured went beyond our globe, right? Uh, Yes, Shaq had one of the first laser-cutting machines in the industry. We produced the glass diodes used by NASA and the 75-mile-range Corporal, the 1,500-mile-range Jupiter, and the ICBM Atlas-class missile guidance systems. The glass diodes were precision-cut by laser, machined and sandblasted to NASA specifications, were also used as components in the Mercury, Gemini, Apollo, and Moon Lander space programs. Wow. In 1988, um, Shack Industries was 90 years old and was still based in Spring Valley. That must have been an incredible milestone. It was more than a milestone. We had great pride and respect for our valued employees who were also our neighbors, people of Rockland County who helped achieve our goals while retaining the high quality of our products over those many years. This, of course, was not overlooked, as the company received some accolades from New York State and others, right? Uh, Yes, we were grateful to be publicly recognized by the state of New York and the U.S. Commerce Department for our excellence in export. It was and remains a tremendous honor. And we hear a lot today about how there are thousands of jobs unfilled due to the lack of unskilled workers. But your business experienced this uh, even 20 years ago, right? Absolutely. We exhausted every known avenue, including cooperation from the New York State Department of Labor to recruit qualified domestic metal workers experienced in the trade to no avail. Due to our tremendous growth, we sent our human resource people to Europe to recruit metal workers and finishes from leading automobile manufacturers. We were successful in recruiting several dozen from England and Germany on two-year work visas, but that was far short of the number of mechanics needed, and their two-year visas came around too soon, 
at which time they had to return. The cost of training qualified mechanics became just too expensive. And so what has become of Shack Industries? There was a merger that took place with five other public companies, all involved with non-competing building products, and moved to Munaki, New Jersey, in a 250,000-square-foot building. A year later, the operations were again moved to Corpus Christi, Texas, where they where there was an abundance of trainable labor. And are there still members of your family in the business? Yes. Uh, if you have the time, you can check out the high-end product line on Facebook by looking for MLI, that's MLI Architectural Elements. Okay, that's MLI Architectural Elements. Okay, that great. We'll, we definitely will look that up on Facebook. Um, Although you spent time in your family business, you also did some other things in your career. Can you talk a little bit about that? Uh, Very little. All I can say at this time is that I worked with military intelligence dealing with extreme terrorism on the Middle East desk. And uh, what are you doing now, Howard? Uh, I am a consultant to a family architectural products company and an analyst for the Rockland County Sheriff's Department Anti-Terrorism Analytical Group, otherwise known as ATAG. And you are also an author. Um, How many books have you written? Uh, Thus far, eight books, one screenplay that has been optioned for a feature film, hopefully I'll live to see one day, and ten scripts for a made-for-TV series. Excellent. Um, Now, did you always want to be a writer? No, I simply write as a hobby, and it keeps me out of trouble. What I, what writing I least like to do is writing checks, so I leave that writing to my good wife. <laughs> okay, I agree with you on that one. Um, now, can you tell us a little bit about um, uh, the screenplay or the or the uh, made-for-TV series? Can you tell us what those are, or is that well, secretive at the moment? The made-for-TV series is based upon. Uh, actual events that happen within the United States and overseas it does involve the uh, terrorism activity. Interesting. Well, I look forward to seeing that. Um, you've been listening to Crossroads of Rockland History. I'm Claire Sheridan, and I'm so grateful to my guest today, Howard H. Shack, who has shared the history of his family's business, Shack Industries. Thanks, Howard, for being here today. You're certainly welcome. It's a pleasure. Uh, I'm very pleased to announce that Howard Shack's written history of Shack Industries appears in this quarter's issue of South of the Mountains. South of the Mountains is the history journal of the Historical Society of Rockland County. This journal, which has been continuously published since 1957, is a benefit of membership in the Historical Society of Rockland County. If you like Rockland County history, this is a magazine that you should be receiving. All you have to do is become a member of the Historical Society, and membership begins at $25 per year for seniors and students. Just visit our website at rocklandhistory.org and click on Membership, or call us at 845-634-9629, and we'll send you a membership form. That's rocklandhistory.org, or reach us by phone at 634-9629. I hope you will tune in to the next Crossroads of Rockland History show, on April 15th, right after Steve and Priscilla's morning show, 
when we'll explore, explore Rockland's rich history and ethnic musical traditions using the accordion as the centerpiece. This program will be a prelude to the Historical Society's special live musical presentation entitled The Big Squeeze, an Accordion Summit. That will be held on April 28th at the Nyack Library. This traditional musical summit, made possible by a grant from the New York State Council on the Arts, will showcase three of Rockland County's traditional accordion styles, Irish, Ukrainian, and Mexican Norteño. My guest on next month's program will be Dr. Marion Jacobson, ethnomusicologist and author of Squeeze This, The Cultural History of the Accordion in America. We'll talk about her book, this unique musical accordion summit coming to Rockland, and more. I hope you will tune in. That's Monday, April 15th at 10, 10 a.m. To find out about how to get tickets to the Big Squeeze, which will be held at the Nyack Library on April 28th, visit our website at rocklandhistory.org or call us at 634-9629. That web address again is rocklandhistory.org and our phone number is 634-9629. I'm Claire Sheridan. Thank you for listening to Crossroads of Rockland History on WRCR. Mm-hmm.